And we are live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Weekly News Live by Next.io. Thank you, as always, to Playson for that incredibly funky intro music. Always gets me in the mood for a bit of news discussion. Uh, and thank you to Bombay Group as well, our other sponsors. You guys keep us coming back week after week. Now, eagle-eyed viewers will have noticed that I'm joined by a very special guest today, our brand new senior reporter, our newest team member on the Next.io editorial team. It is the one and only Zach Thomas Aku. Zach, how are you, man? Oh, I'm doing very well, Connor. Uh, thank you so much for having me on today. It's uh, great to do one of these, finally. Good. Yes, it's nice to have you with us. You've only been with us a few weeks, but already we're wheeling you out into the weekly news uh, wheelhouse. We've got Katie and Bogdan and Lorena in the audience. Hi, guys, and thank you all for joining us. Well, Zach, it's nearly Christmas. There's no leaves on the trees behind me. We're uh, starting to wind down, I suppose, but there's still lots going on. How's your Christmas plan shaping up? Have you got a nice December ahead of you? I think I've got a good one planned. Yeah, I'm uh, planning to go home on the 22nd, back to the West Country. So that mm. until then, I'm in grimy London, uh, where it's uh, not feeling very Christmassy here in Streatham. Me too. No, it's not that Christmassy in Wimbledon either, but we love it anyway. Um, well, it's been a fun few weeks for me anyway. I've just got back from iGaming Idol last week in Malta, which was great fun. So if anybody's in the audience who was there at Idol, give us a shout out. Um we had a lot of fun there. Katie and Bogdan, it would have been nice to see you there, but unfortunately, I guess you couldn't make it this time. Um, but we had a nice time, and the video of that will be coming out very soon, I suspect, so keep your eyes peeled for that. But first, in the meantime, we've had some good stories coming out this week, Zach, lots of interesting things going on. The first one I would like to talk about today is an update from BetMGM. There's the headline. As you can see, BetMGM is aiming for 500 million in annual EBITDA after a 2024 investment year. Oh, Trina says, iGaming Idol was great. Can't wait for the after movie. Thank you very much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I hope it, I hope the after movie comes out very soon so we can all watch. But Zach, you wrote this story uh, earlier this week. We've had an update from Adam Greenblatt and management at BetMGM. Why don't you give us a rundown of what they've been discussing? Absolutely. Thanks, Connor. So, yeah, I mean, they do these investor presentations every now and then um, for the joint venture run by um, Alan Greenblatt. Um, so this year, the headlines, um, well, this time the headlines were that they're on track for 1.8 billion to 2 billion revenue, which is the upper end of their guidance. Um, and that they're going to uh, plan to all the EBITDA they've got this year, they're going to throw it away next year because they're going to invest it all in in um, increasing their market share with an idea towards uh, making themselves have 500 million dollar in in, Eb in EBITDA going forward to in 2026. So what's interesting about this is that um, the uh, fi uh, 500 million is what Penn said um, they're hoping to raise with ESPN bet. Um, what, that's 500 million to one billion, and there's a kind of um, way in which all these all their competitors are racing to increase their market share at the moment, um, and you know market share is almost it's not entirely zero sum because um, ESPN bets users. Some people have been saying they've been expanding the size of the total market, but it's pretty zero sum. 
So not everyone's going to be able to um, increase their market share to where they say they're going to be. Yeah, I mean, how's that looking in recent months? I know that BetMGM had at least a kind of leading position when it came to iGaming. It's obviously got the strength of that MGM casino brand behind it. So perhaps they cater to a slightly different kind of customer than, for example, DraftKings and FanDuel at the top of the market. But what's been happening with those market dynamics this year? Have, have BetMGM been doing better or worse? So they, I mean, historically, they were number one in iGaming, which was their big lead and why a lot of people had, were quite bullish on their prospects going forward because mm -hmm. iGaming is, in theory, more profitable. There's not many markets, but you should be able to make more money from it. But now, um, then they were number two, um, FanDuel, uh, DraftKings went to the top, and now they're number three again since uh, FanDuel got them for the number, uh, the number three spot. So they're not the market, they're not the iGaming market leaders they used to be. Um, what... Um, I mean, market. I mean, market share has been something that's kind of been a bit, um, bit uh, fluctuating recently. Historically, FanDuel were the number one sports betting leaders, and now DraftKings are. So there seems so it's still quite not very static. There's still a lot of room to go up and down at the moment. Yeah, I think DraftKings as well has been performing really well. Their shares have been performing really well in recent years. I remember back when they were eleven dollars, and I did think to myself, "Man, that's a buy," but uh, I didn't buy any. So I'm regretting that now. But anyway, um, yeah, so I suppose there was probably some attempt then in this investor day to kind of put put investors' minds at ease a little bit. They've got this um, investment plan now and like there's been this kind of race to profitability and doing everything, you know, all these companies seem to be doing everything they can to reduce costs and start to turn that profit um and some of them are starting to get there now but obviously beth mgm now have committed to reinvest in all that positive ebitda next year um so where is that money gonna go um yes there you go so keith keith says in the um comments there keith laidlaw thanks for joining us didn't bet mgm say about a year ago that they were focusing on profitability as in not chasing market share seems like a 180 what well, do you think about that well there's, there's been conflicting things um said on uh what bet mgm are going to be investing uh so for like for example um they're saying right now that they're going to be investing 500 million uh they're going to be investing a bunch of money with the views have long-term ebitda going uh for uh, 500 million by 2026 but will they be able to stop investing um at that point like there's other their competitors will still be investing in 2026 the idea that you could do this one big investment year and then kind of like rest on your laurels going forward seems a little bit suspect to me because there's there's like that people will be investing but in terms of what what specifically they're going to be investing on this time they said their strategy has three pillars um one enhance their uh, their product offering which is often you know the secret source in um in, in gaming two um take advantage of its omni-channel advantages in vegas you know it's tapping in on mgm being a big big vegas temple and number three um a data-driven customer acquisition and retention strategy which is yeah i mean that's uh, them just trying to um yeah acquire more users yeah so well it sounds a bit vague so far have they given any detail on what that strategy might actually look like sure so in terms of their product improvements um they're going to be integrating angstrom sport which is the entain acquisition um, from july this year that focuses on modeling forecasting and data analytics so this will be like improving their like same game parlay 
uh, offering, basically, which is, I think is something where they've fallen behind their competitors who, have, who actually have quite advanced offerings now. So they're going to be saying, they say they want to have an enhanced same game parlay, um, thing game parlay plus, as well as new um, live uh, SGB products. So that's, um, yeah, so that's what they're doing on the on the sports side. Yeah. I, just, I mean, what does that mean? Same game parlay plus? I don't know. I suppose they're just expanding the number of markets and things, but I sounds like a bit of a buzzword because it's the kind of thing that everyone's going crazy for in the US right now. I think it was what gave FanDuel its lead in the early days was this, you know, flutter-driven same game parlay capability that the other operators didn't really have and now everyone's kind of scrambling to catch up so yeah, um, yeah. it's interesting to know that it, it's not you know it's obviously not giving up on sports betting then and obviously angstrom sports is going to be very funnily enough sports focused um but i think their market shares significantly lower if you look at sports betting only i'm not sure of the figures off the top of my head but maybe it's more like 10 to 15% and then if you include the i gaming markets then the market share looks a little bit healthier so maybe that will kind of work out in terms of being able to leverage that land based audience but i don't think it's something that we've really seen properly executed yet by omni channel is one of those buzzwords that we hear a lot don't like um everyone wants to have their omni channel strategy but if you look at the us like market leaders none of their none of their strategies are based on that at all i mean i totally understand they want to lean into that as you know that's that's what they have that the others don't but it's um i don't know i think it's gonna be tricky to pull off like um so part of the omni channel strategy is gonna they're gonna be having a creating a single wallet for nevada um uh so i like i think theoretically you'd be able to go into um like um, an mgm casino and use the same wallet that you're using for your online account so i mean there'll be integrations like this but the the question is whether it'll move the dial and i think that's that's uh, a bit more ambiguous yeah i think you're probably right i mean who else has tried it i mean caesars must have must be trying the kind of integrating the rewards programs i guess across land based and online but i think maybe they're trying to play to two different markets at once you know that kind of the kind of person who would travel to vegas for a holiday and you know spend some money in the casino while they're there and someone who's an avid sports fan and regular online better they don't see it's not immediately obvious to me that the that there's necessarily much overlap there it seems like quite different propositions so I yeah i mean the question is how 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 much strength does something like that actually offer a brand well i suppose <clears throat> i mean you've got to remember there's huge money in land-based like macau mm -hmm. makes an awful lot of money like uh, las vegas sands is still the most valuable company uh, gambling company in the world by market cap and there's a reason for that like you, you get the whales you get like big big spenders so i imagine the I mean, the theory of the case is they want to get those kind of people on the app. But I mean, is the kind of person who, co who goes to Vegas and, and spends $100,000 the same kind of person who'll spend that on a online app? Maybe it is. I don't know. But that's the question. Maybe. If I were to guess, I'd say that those people are still using the unregulated bookies, to be honest. But I don't know. That's pure conjecture of my part, Zach. And you know that we don't like to do too much conjecture if we can avoid it. Uh, but I think there was a bit more commentary on this MGM story from Adam Greenblatt about the kind of growing importance of BetMGM. I think it's sometimes been um, 
for its two joint owners, both for Entine and for MGM Resorts. It's been a little bit the black sheep of the portfolio somehow, and it maybe hasn't always had the love and attention that it's needed. Maybe that's not fair to say, but that's how it certainly has looked at certain times. Um, but I believe Adam kind of uh, reasserted that importance of the brand to the companies, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> he was fielding a question uh, from an investor about, I mean, troubles in the joint venture. Because, I mean, we all, we, I mean, I think most of the industry is familiar with the psychodramas that have mm -hmm. like characterized the relationship between Entain and uh, MGM. So he's trying to reassure investors and say, like, everything's okay. So what, what he said is that it is now a strategic limb of both companies. And what he means by that is it's really important. I mean, like, uh, think of all the companies that tried and failed to make a significant dent in the US, in like in the in the US gaming. It's really, really hard. Like, most people don't do it, and so the fact that they have done it is 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 great. I mean, and that and that should bode very well for the future. I mean, and like, I think in that investor letter that was sent, um, the name escapes me of the particular investor right now. Um, but they um, they said in that letter that Entain have two two um, important things. One is a network of brands around uh, around the world um, in local markets where they have leadership positions. That's number one. But number two is BetMGM. It's it's as valuable as as the rest of it put together. Yeah, I think yeah. Sometimes when we talk about market share in the US, we can lose sight of just how big a market mm -hmm. it is. What was the, have they set a target? For market share, did they say twenty to twenty-five? Yeah, twenty to twenty-five percent. I've seen an analyst say that's relatively realistic. I mean, yeah. that's, it's not it's not totally out of the case. But my my sense is that with the competition heating up, with Bet three six five, with Fanatics, with ESPN Bet, with DraftKings and FanDuel, both looking to um, invest in their products, that it's going to be hard. And that, I mean, and this is an admission that it will be hard. Like, a, a, it's going to be a huge investment next year, and so they're going to be hoping to like get through it. Yeah, well, well, I suppose we'll wait and see. But I think uh, we had another story this week, actually, that kind of ties in quite nicely with this. And I think it's worth mentioning about Entine. So BetMGM and indeed all of Entine's brands in regulated markets are going to become increasingly uh, important. So we're going to come to that Neo Games story in just a few minutes. But first of all... Um, what was the news today? This was another story that you wrote up for us, Zach. Yeah, so this is the um, Entain Deferred Prosecution Agreement, which is, I mean, it was first, um, uh, Entain first revealed that this was a thing that was going on back in 2020. And it was about um, a, a, a HMRC probe into their uh into bribery allegations that they were doing in the turkish black market yeah. back, this was back when it was gvc holdings and so it's mm -hmm. 2011 and 2017. i mean it's um it's uh i mean it's a big deal because it's first of all it's a lot of money but what makes it important um in terms of betmgm is that the uh entain have agreed with the crown prosecutional service that they will exit unregulated markets they have a tw they have 12 months um to do so um, and that includes regulating markets, um, which in this case is Brazil, Chile, Peru, and Mexico. And so they have 12 months to do it, and with an option of extending for another 12 months if they can make a case that regulation is around the corner. So, I mean, what's, what's quite funny about this is in January, uh, Entain made a big song and dance of it was going to exit uh, unregulated markets as a sort of noble thing it was doing and sort of this is a this this is us being sustainable when it actually what it, what it looks like now is this was something that was 
uh, forced upon them by by prosecutors. So not quite as noble as they were trying to make out at the time. Yes, I'm pretty sure they put their own spin on that and made it look like they were being very charitable and nice. Um, but yeah, they've so the, the the Crown Prosecution Service has demanded. So it's curious, isn't it? Because usually you would think this sort of thing would go through the UKGC and not through the Crown Prosecution Service. But well, well I mean, the, like the, the GC, I mean, it's important and it's a big regulator, but the it's, the scales are totally different. They, mm. I mean, the, the biggest fine in GC history was about like 17 million pounds, right? This yeah. is a 610 million pounds. Um, this is more the kind of scale you get with like the big teeth regulators, people more like the Financial Conduct Authority, those kind of guys. Yeah. This is, and I think importantly, it's it's criminal. This is this is a uh, like people could still go for jail over this. I mean, the, in the um, DPA itself, it said that this covers the company itself, not 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 any current or former directors. So, if any, if if I was in uh, in senior management of GVC between those years, two thousand eleven to two thousand seventeen, I would be I would be um, seeking legal legal counsel. This because you're not protected by this. And I think Regulus made the point today that uh, it, it seems likely that there could be prison sentences for this. Wow. Yeah, lots to look out for there. And I'm just looking at the story now. Um, sorry to our viewers, I wasn't able to get the QR code ready for this story. But if you go to our homepage at next.io, you'll find it. It's the second story on the homepage right there for you. Um, so the, the chief crown prosecutor warned that the consequences of this agreement might extend to the entire UK-based gaming sector. So we're going to see possibly other operators forced to move out of unregulated jurisdictions is that right well i think the language was a bit ambiguous so in the statement he said i want this to be like a warning to the gaming industry but he um he mentioned compliance in particular so he might mean just like don't bribe foreign officials which is slightly different so don't be in dot-com markets but i mean I mean, re regulars had a great thing today when they were saying this is this is going to be a real warning to everyone because the legal status is shaky and getting shakier. And a lot of the UK um, London listed giants um, do have massive grey market liability. Exotate Holdings is has is in a lot of grey markets. Yeah. Flutter's in a lot of grey markets through PokerStars. So it's I mean, this if um, if companies are scared that this could happen to them too. Uh, then, well, maybe they maybe they should be because who knows what what the the legal um, regime will be in the future. Yeah, I mean we've already had uh, a review started into AAA and everything that's gone on there. That was a they had problems with the VIP programs in the Middle East, didn't they? So all these kind of unregulated markets are starting to. Um, starting to uh, see the consequences. Ah, I think we've updated our QR code, I've been told by our producer in the background, so you can check out that um, that uh, Entain Deferred Prosecution Agreement story in all its glory. That was published just this morning by SelfSec. Um, yeah, well, I don't think um, anything is really finally decided yet. I think these are stories that we're going to definitely be keeping an eye on for the months and who knows, possibly even years to come. We'll keep keep an eye on what happens um, with well, Entain. But obviously, one of the key markets that was mentioned, and you said, so they've got 12 months to exit, to exit any unregulated markets, but they can extend that by another 12 months okay. if it seems that regulation is around the corner. Now, that's something we've been saying about Brazil for 
five years now. So I don't know whether they'll be able to convince the Crown Prosecution Service that regulation is coming in Brazil, but it does appear to be closer than ever. So yeah, I mean, I mean, you'll be praying right now if you're entertained that the recent delays to the, the vote in the Senate to bring the gaming bill forwards, that these are just like a little a blip and basically regulations around the corner because it, things have fallen apart totally before. You've got to remember back in December 2022, like Bolsonaro, um, all he had to do was give it a signature and that would be uh, regulated sports betting in in Brazil. But he, um, but he chose not to. And that meant that through years of work, four years of work, totally up in the air. I mean, the government, I, I, I would be quite optimistic if I were them because right now um, the government are behind it. iGaming seems to be the sticking point. There's no reason you couldn't just um, you can just go go ahead with a straight OSB bill. So I mean, I, I, I think it's uh, not a huge risk in Brazil necessarily, but yeah, you'll definitely be keeping a close eye with it. Yeah, I think end time will feel the. Uh feel the pain if they have to exit that market just before or what seems to be just before the regulation comes in but i think even within the next 12 months probably we'll see significant progress so there's actually a vote which has just been postponed till next week till yeah. the 10th of december um in brazil's senate which is its upper house of the brazilian parliament and then after it gets if it gets approved it by the Senate, then it goes back to the House of Representatives for a further approval, final approval. Yeah, yeah, it'll go to the Chamber of Deputies, which That's is uh, Brazil, yeah. uh, Brazil's lower house. <clears throat> and then at that point, um, I mean, you have to, I mean, I, I, I can't talk too expertly on this, but I think after that, it goes uh, to the president. And since the government has been the driving force behind this recent push, then it, um, I think most people think it would be quite unlikely for them to um, veto it at this stage. But, you know, it's Brazil. It's, it's, there's, lots of, there's lots of moving parts. Yeah. And it's, it's failed before. It has failed before. Fortunately, the current president, Lula, I think is actually something of a driving force behind this at the moment. Um, I'm sure if it's if it's in the Senate now, that means it's already been through the Chamber of Deputies once. I'm sure if it gets through the Senate and comes back, then that will be the next step. I say I'm sure. Of course, I have no idea. So we'll see. But it's been uh, it's been a rocky road for Brazil. But hopefully um for everybody looking to get into that market on a regulated basis uh it is coming up shortly well i think that was a nice rundown of our latest story about betmgm and entine and brazil and we rolled it all into one nicely um we've got another big story this week aspire global and neo games are kind of locked up in a couple of different legal battles at the moment. So we've had some legal challenges brought forward against Neo Games, which relate to previous M&A activity of Aspire Global. You're going to have to bear with me on this one because it's a little bit convoluted. We've all seen what happened. So Aspire Global bought Betabet and sold its B2C operations to eSports Technologies, which is now called eBet, and then Aspire got bought by Neo Games, and then Neo Games got bought by who? Uh, oh, God. Um, Aristocrat. Aristocrat, that's it, yeah. Yes. So, yeah, it's just been like an M&A, you know, hurricane. It's been one deal after another. Anyway, two legal challenges have been brought against... Um, 
Neo Games now as the owner of Aspire Global because of some dealings that went on when Aspire Global was still an independent company. So the first one is from the founders of Betabet or BTO Bet. I think it's I think they say Betabet. Um, and that was bought in Aspire by in, uh, bought by Aspire in October 2020. Uh, but now the co-founders Alessandro Freed and Igor Lestar have brought legal proceedings against Aspire Global and accusing Aspire Global of breaching the share purchase agreement that was part of that acquisition deal. So basically, the core of what they're saying is that Aspire Global agreed to pay certain earnout fees related to Betabet's performance in the two years following the acquisition, but those were related to EBIT metrics, so basically profit figures, but they are saying that um, Aspire Global basically uh, almost artificially inflated the costs that uh, Betabet had to pay for certain things and therefore reduce the profit margin, reduce the amount of profit and save themselves from having to pay out those um, additional fees. So basically, Freed and Lester have, have alleged that a series of business decisions made by Aspire Global negatively affected Betabet's earnout EBIT, um, including spending costs that were beyond normal, normal business operations, and hiring a lot more staff than expected. They planned to hire something like 15 new members of staff and they ended up hiring something like 60, um, obviously massively increasing their costs. And yeah, the founders of Betabet are accusing Aspire Global of doing that in order to uh, basically avoid paying out. So they've brought, they're claiming damages across 10 different areas, um, adding up to a total of 36 million euros um now obviously that's one side of the argument aspire global has set out its response aspire global said and i quote unfortunately after the share purchase agreement was concluded it became apparent that the company's products beta bets products were not fully fit for purpose that it was under resourced and understaffed and that not all of its business practices were sustainable, either in the markets in which it was already operating or the markets in which it was intended to operate post-acquisition. So they say, basically, well, we bought it and it wasn't as good as we thought it was, so we had to spend loads of money to make it better. Um, and it said that the changes made were necessary for both the short and long-term success of the company. Uh, and it also said that one of the reasons it agreed to a deal structure, including the earnout consideration in the first place, was to ensure that it did not overpay for the business. And it was like, well, we did that so we didn't have to overpay for it. And guess what? We would have if we hadn't had that. So it was influenced by extremely bullish projections about Betabet's future performance, they said. And so basically their argument is... Um, no, we did have to spend that money. But Alessandro Freed and the other co-founder think otherwise. So we're just, I believe, at the beginning of these legal proceedings now. Yeah, they're trying to claim damages worth 36 million euros. Oh. And that's not all. That's just the first case being brought against Aspire Global. There is a second case. 
which we haven't got quite as much detail on. Um, but a company called eBet, which you may know, the company formerly known as Esports Technologies, it's now called eBet. Um, and if you remember, it acquired Aspire Global's B2C iGaming assets in 2021. Back then, Aspire was like full service, B2B, B2C, doing a bit of everything all at once. And it sold off its B2C assets to focus on the B2B side. Anyway, eBet has now reportedly filed a lawsuit in Nevada alleging fraudulent conduct, including the manipulation of books and records by Aspire. So I guess that first charge, that first alleged charge, could also be described as the manipulation of books or the manipulation of spending. Um, so I wouldn't, I'm not saying they're related because they're referring to two different acquisitions, two different deals, but, uh, yes, the, the, the two different charges being brought against Aspire Global. So eBet is seeking even more than in the first case. They're seeking damages of around 65 million euros, according to reports, uh, excuse me. And again, we've got a response from Neo Games president and former CEO of Aspire Global, Sashi Maimon, who said, we believe these legal actions lack substance and intend to vigorously defend our position in court. And that's about all she wrote. So that's what we've got uh, about this Neo Games and Aspire Global cases. But let's see what happens there. Still plenty to come. I'm sure it's probably quite a lengthy process. Well, it's quite interesting, isn't it? <clears throat> I find it, uh, there's often a way these big M&A deals uh, collapse into legal action, uh, which is great for journalists because then they just they just write out what, what their issue with, the, with each other instead of being able to try and wheedle it from people. Yes, well, sometimes it can be very, um, I don't want to say entertaining, but it can be interesting, you know, to see these inner workings exposed in court documents and everything. Um, but lots of accusations flying around. Aspire Global obviously vigorously defends its own position and says no. Um, so it'll take a little while to work that one out, I'm sure. Um, but yes, more detail as we get it. We'll keep you updated on these stories. Of course, we will be following them very closely. Um, and I think, Zach... We've kept it short and sweet today, but I think that those are the biggest stories of the week. Any closing comments? No, well, it's just great to, great to be on here for the first time. Um, yeah, thank you so much, Colin. Oh, the pleasure has been all mine. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you once again to Playson and Bombay Group, and thank you to Lars, Ross, Keith, Ankit, Trina, Katie, Lorena, and everybody else in the audience. Bogdan, how could I forget? Uh, we'll see you here same time next week. Thanks for watching. Coming close to me, flows on atomic. I'm starting fires through poetry. The heart's out, staying loyal, no falling out. And if you step into the court, be ready, we balling out. Yeah. Oh. I gotta go.